Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 44 with Taf Rahman. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, before we go into this week's uh, guest, just want to have, make a big announcement. Really um, happy to announce that we've uh, finally finished the latest upgrade to the My Personal Football Coach app. So now we're really excited. Basically, what happened is that players can now upload their own videos and uh, you know and store their own uh, training sessions. Also, um, they can now add to a team library. So we've got the My Personal Football Coach team library, but really specifically, more importantly, now with all our partner clubs. Uh, they'll have their own specific team library. So basically players from that club will be able to upload their own videos and then add to a team library, which is only accessible to the players, coaches and parents of that club. And they'll be able to like each other's uh, efforts and videos and things like that. So really excited about this update. Been working on it for a while. Uh, really think it's going to help boost engagement and uh, peer review and also support coaches as well to be able to see what, what players are doing. So this is really going to take our club partnership to the next level. And uh, we've already got lots of more clubs uh, signing up and coming aboard. Want to welcome uh, the Techers Academy in Bahrain that's joined us. We're excited about having Cup Club now in that part of the world as well and joining clubs from all around the world. So, you're interested in the club partnership, how it can take your club to the next level. Remember, all players get access to the app, all coaches will get access to the coaches' past, the world's leading online resource for coaches, and also you can check in and log the data for all, all your players and, and the usage in that. So, give us, a, give us a bell, give us a message, and we can set you up a free demo uh, so you can have a look at it at, uh, for your club. Also, just briefly, want to mention the coaches' pass. Thanks for all you guys' uh, feedback uh, about the coaches' pass. If you don't know, the coaches' pass is an online resource for coaches. We are uploading new video sessions of coaches from all around the world every week. So every week, in your inbox on the website, you're going to get a new video session of a coach, uh, a pro coach from around the world, uh, delivering a session to various different age groups. So really excited about that. The feedback's been great. I know you guys love it. It's a big difference, I think, from getting video sessions to actual, you know, diagrams, which is still good, but it's nothing like seeing the coaches uh, live and seeing how they interact with player and their communication and stuff like that. So big thanks for all that. Has some great feedback for the coaches passed recently. Don't forget also that, remember, we got a seven-day money-back guarantee. And not only the coaches pass, but the app. So you can go online, you can try it. If you don't lucky, like it, uh, no questions asked, uh, money-back uh, offer. So go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com to find out more. Now, moving on to the show, uh, really excited about this week's guest, uh, Taf Rahman. Taf's uh, someone I've known for many years. He's been on the circuit in terms of academy football. He's got a wealth of experience, unbelievable experience, this man. He's, uh, he's worked at the academy level at Arsenal, at Tottenham. He's also worked for the Football Association. He's also worked at international level as well, uh, quite remarkably involved in the, uh, the recent Guyana football success in their international qualification, uh, working under Michael Johnson. Uh, quite a stunning um, underdog story here, what they did there. So fantastic, with lots of um, knowledge to share. So uh, I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this one. It's very rare you find someone who, uh, with such um, complete experience at all levels of the game, from grassroots all the way up to the international level and the highest level. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. 
So, Taf Rahman, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. So can you give us a little bit of a brief um, outline of your playing and coaching career up to this point? Playing career was um, pretty much uh, by default. Um, I grew up in Camden in the inner city. I uh, just played street football and cage football. And by the off chance, a friend of a friend uh, asked me to come and play grassroots football at a club in Harrow. Uh, and that's where it all started pretty much. Um, I wasn't aware how good I was. Uh, just because I was playing unconstructed football in, in, a, in, a, in a very simplistic environment with friends and, and everyone that lived in the state. And from that kind of led on to um, getting trials, uh, district level, county level, um, going to QPR, Luton uh, and a few other clubs before signing for Arsenal as an academy player. Um, and that was uh, when I was 11 going into year, end of year seven. Which was a which was a huge uh, huge achievement when I look back at it. Um, I used to live in Kentish Town, and Arsenal Stadium was literally a mile, mile if that. Um, and on match days before joining up with the team, um, my grassroots team, that was I used to see the fans going off, and I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so getting to Arsenal was a, was a huge achievement, um, and one that I. Thoroughly enjoyed my time um, playing for the different academies at age groups. So how long are you at Arsenal for? Uh, from uh, from then till uh, 18. So I went through a the first ever full time um, coaching, playing, education program, um, which was pretty much getting picked up every morning, going to a partnership school that Arsenal had signed the contract with, and being one of ten boys that was on on the course. Um, which was challenging. How old you, what was that? Like scholar year? 13. 13. So 13, yeah. So, so getting up at <laughs> 6 in the morning and going there, then travelling back like 6.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30, getting back home. Um, and that consisted of doing schoolwork, but at the same time playing football. So that was the full-time academy? Yeah, so, so it was, like, it was a full-time full programme Yeah, it was a full-time programme. Uh, wow. And the What first, school was that? It was at Himes Park right. in yeah. Uh, Chingford. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was uh, that was one hell of a challenge to be honest, both psychologically, socially, um, in terms of me getting out of my area, going to a new school, settling in. But at the same time, from a, from a footballing perspective, it was it gave me a great opportunity to train every day, um, work on my development areas and so forth, and play with people like David Bentley, Ryan Gary, who's the Arsenal under twenty three coaches now. Um, being in that model um, there was a lot of lot of technical small-sided games that we worked on um, and yeah it was, a, it was a great experience so talk so, a little bit about then uh, let's just go, we'll go through this a bit quickly and then we'll come back in a bit detail yeah. tell us a bit about them i post off you left off what, type, what age did you leave after uh, 18 18 okay. so after that uh, i went on a number of different trials um, it wasn't the easiest time for me because of personal circumstances with with family and mum being ill and so right. forth, so I kind of had a, had a mental uh, setback at the same time going through some injuries. Uh, went on to trial at Rushton Diamonds, uh, Bristol City, went to play in America a little bit, Atlanta Silverbacks. Uh, things didn't quite work out because of the situation with, with my mum and so forth, so I came back, played at Ebbsfleet, uh, Hendon and uh, Fisher Athletics. I had a recurring injury uh, that um, I picked up during my scholarship years uh, where I kind of tore grade three hamstring, uh, which had an ongoing issue 
and then I ended up doing my ACL a couple of years later and doing it again. So that kind of derailed and, and demotivated me. So after leaving football around 24, um, went into uh, coaching, uh, coached that semi-pro team, uh, which was uh, which was interesting, running a men's team at 23-24 uh, um, and going on to university to do my sports science and coaching degree through the PFA. Uh, and after that, um, around 26-27, went back to Arsenal um, coached within the academy four or five years, uh, working through the nines to 14s, 15s, uh, at the same time working as a sports scientist and uh, strength and conditioning coach through the day because I, what I was trying to build for myself was a real wide foundation of, of experience and knowledge and uh, narrowing that to, to my coaching pathway. Um, so at least I've got the understanding of how the different disciplines work. So yeah, after that period, um, had some time out, uh, went, went around the world looking at different clubs, went to Brazil for the World Cup and had a look through Uruguay, Argentina, some of the uh, street football in Brazil and, and professional clubs. Um, on my return, I looked at uh, coaching again and, and went into Spurs at that time, uh, which was a great time at Spurs because Spurs has just built their new facility. Um, and a philosophy that was very much player-centred, developing players that are 1v1 dominant, yeah. uh, technically components, uh, competent. So yeah, that, that journey lasted around three, four years before moving on to uh, working at the FA and doing some work with the England national team uh, through the mentee programme with the 16s, 18s and 20s. Um, and that was another experience that was uh, that was um, unbelievable to be honest because I remember one one game where we was playing 16s versus France um, and I turned around and I was looking down the tunnel and I was like wow Elijah Elijah's there Ben Cottrell's there Alfie Ma um, Alfie Matthews is there um, who else is there there was one more one more person I was like wow I remember them as babies and now they're playing in the, in the national team um, and that was that was a huge uh, yeah fulfillment in many ways halfway through a cycle so seeing them go now another five years and, and, and see where they end up um, yeah that was a real memorable moment and from that went on to um, uh, took a took a took a chance to go and work in China for a bit yeah. see something different uh, at the same time doing doing coach education with the FA and an opportunity came to go and work in Guyana. Um, most people say Ghana, and I'm like, no, it's Guyana, which is in South America. And they're like, wow, how did that come about? And then what made you take that opportunity? Um, okay, so hold it there, because we're gonna come back. Yep. All right, because this is, uh, wanna, we'll go into that in a bit more detail. So I don't wanna ruin the, uh, the ending. So just, just rewind a little bit yep. and uh, talk about your, your, first, your first coaching role. What was your very first coaching job? Was it the with the Pro Touch Academy and um, working in that I'd say like when I really look players. back at my journey, my first coaching role was probably when I was about 12, 13 because playing in, in the state, we never had a team. So it was like, get your mates together and we'd enter the local Regents Park League and, and the Camden yeah. Unity oh. Cup and I'll be managing it with, with, with our friends. So I never realised until like years later that, you know, I was already picking a team, I was putting the team together. But then, yeah, working with Pro Touch was one of the opportunities at the same time uh, running the Camden District team. Yeah. Um, so both both uh, hand in hand. Um, Think about that, because obviously I grew up in a similar sort of around the corner. 
and as very much a street player as well. Do you think being like a, a street player in that environment does that, does that affect the way you coach and the way you look at players and the way? Yeah, I would say perceive? so. I would say so uh, very much uh, because there's a lot of self mastery involved when when you when you're playing by yourself. There's a lot of problem solving and feed forward so the information that you get from making mistakes or trying to beat a player or you play against the wall or you've got to defend yourself against a big player or take on a small player it's it's all lots of different information but there is no actual coach uh, that's there to actually support you so very much taking on the information yourself um, and, 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 and almost working out how to solve that um, and I describe it as like there was coaching but it was invisible it was it was like an invisible architecture it it had a formula of something but you couldn't pinpoint what it was and, and then how you was picking that up um so how's that affected you as a coach and the way you work especially the younger age groups so freedom letting them experiment um letting them putting them into situations where it's problematic it challenges them mentally physically psychologically socially but even to the point of building on leadership skills where they have to pick their own teams or they have to manage a tournament or they have to do something that's going to ultimately create positive conflict with, with their peers. So lots of, lots of freedom and lots of um, ownership um, with, with guidance, a little bit of guidance and so forth. Um, and I would say that's, that's how, I, how I tend to come across as a coach and, and deliver my sessions is is, is allowing allowing freedom to be one of the one of the forefronts of learning but you know because you know, obviously we grew up in that environment and we see that the phenomenal individuality the creativity and those outcomes that we all crave as coaches and some people say it's impossible to replicate those in structured environments you know we've, we've got like players like Sancho and you know has come through Hodgson and now come yeah. through the academy system what's your what's your thoughts on how to foster that sort of street mentality in a in a structured environment because we know we have very little street football left these days yeah. I think it's, it's really taking a, taking a step back and looking at the players when they're at that younger tender age in the foundation phases and the pre-academy and looking at what they really enjoy like and then how they like to play what's their personalities and not stifling those personalities but really um, giving them that boost that yeah go on do that if you, if you like doing that go, go and have a go at that and really praising that rather than well try this and try that um, and almost trying to manufacture someone before they even have got their own self style identity and so forth and that might come later down the line when they're, when they're going into that youth or professional development phase um, so within that professional environment it's actually really looking at the players as individuals what do they come with and how do we harness what they are already build on that so they are who they want to be and how they see the game and then adding on the building blocks that's going to actually give them a platform to continue on and where do you stand on this you know there's almost this uh, tendency these days to just let the game do the work almost just putting getting players in the in a game and letting them get on with it are you very much in that or are you a bit more of a bit of a combination with structure as well uh, a combination of the of the of the two um really i think uh, sometimes when you in a constructive environment if you just just let the game be the teacher it kind of just becomes they're just playing which still they are learning but at the same time um, when you've got so much talent embedded in one area they might need some direction in terms of how to get to the next part so there, there needs to be elements of of coaching through very much a guided discovery kind of angle 
um, and more of an encouragement to build on their self-expression um, without without stifling over coaching or, or taking out their personality um, so in that way yes a, a collaboration of the two I suppose that it's not I don't agree with balance as such it's not a balance it's a, it's more of an awareness of st skillful neglect on when certain players or groups of players need something that might be okay you can run with that the others might need a bit more of okay you need a little bit of coaching here or a little bit of support to get up to get up and stay with the group um, so yeah it's it's uh, it's more of an awareness of, of when and how to do uh, the actual coaching and let the game be the teacher and so tell us about then when you first your first academy role at Arsenal your, your first coaching job what was that like in terms of a young coach going into that environment obviously you know the environment you've been yeah. a player there but what was that like in terms of wearing a different it was, hat it was very difficult very very difficult and I suppose I'm, I'm more aware now and further down my journey but when I look back at it yeah, yeah, I was a novice um, and back then I would have thought yeah yeah I know football because I played football and so forth but it was um, I was still building my building building my understanding of how to coach um, and how to build the different building blocks of coaching so in that way it was uh, it was an, it was almost like sometimes just circulating 360 and not knowing okay am I doing this one am I doing that one but then at the same time trusting the journey and, 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 and doing it and doing it and asking people feedback and what they think about it and so forth but the initial start was uh, was a little daunting, yeah. Just um, about, about the practically, what was the philosophy like at Arsenal then at the time? Very much uh, te technical based, uh, with quick, quick, fast decision making, being able to play, and at the same time think and move in line with with, with what's going on. Um, there was a technical element was it was a big a big factor. Uh, the speed of thought um, was was a huge element because Arsenal style is to play fast, quick combinations, one v ones finish off the attack um, so lots of it around intensity of practice was not necessarily physical intensity but making the players think um, more quickly and more forward um, at the same time being able to play and think to support in different ways moving forward and then being able to finish off the uh, the play in, in in different ways and so forth so it gives it a typical like arsenal session would look like then at the time Back then, um, and then more so, and probably now as well, in terms of in terms of lots of individual ball work, um, looking at breaking down the skills, uh, the te uh, technical skills into skills. Um, so lots of one v one opportunities, lots of uh, opportunities that lead to goal scoring, um, and small practices where you're playing maybe possessional games end to end, and then building into more small sided games that are. Um, challenging but yet competitive um, yeah so, so a lot, in lot, that of, way. lot of mistaken there but a lot of mannequin work as it's called pass and move in drills that sort yeah, of thing yeah so, so initially lots of uh, technical practices shaped around just refining um, refining the actual technique of, of certain passing or receiving or moving or turning and so forth um, I suppose um, uh, for me I used to say t repetition is the mother of all technique um, if you can, if you can get that repetition with realism and realisticness, and you've got that embedded, taking it into a skill and, and really excelling on that, um, becomes beyond second nature that you are onto the next part of your next part of your movement or whatever you need to do. 
So in that way, yeah, there, there, there was lots of technical work around mannequins, but also lots of individual work leading into doing it on a, on a 1v1, 2v2, and, and building up through overloads and so forth. So what age groups did you predominantly work with when you were there? Uh, so it started off with the 9s, 10s, worked with the 11s, 12s, um, and little bits with the 13s and 14s, um, and then moved across after that to, to Spurs. Okay, so then talk about, we'll just talk about game day then. You know, I'm my first year in academy football, what fun that was. Tell us a bit about, you know, an Arsenal-Tottenham game under nines. You know, that's a lot of fun. I think, yeah, <laughs> Arsenal-Tottenham game under nines or first team, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always a big build-up, irrelevant. Uh, but with the, with the kids, much as you much as you try to actually keep it, it's a development game and so forth. Kids know, and, and, and parents and everyone else, and things will be things will be like history will always be brought forward and, and so forth. Um, at the end of the day, it was a, it was a, it was a game from a coaching perspective, but in terms of the aura and the energy of the game, it was a mini Arsenal versus North, uh, Tottenham North London derby kind of thing so there was a lot of excitement and, and, uh, and how, how important was winning a game like that or generally in the academy at Arsenal it wasn't necessarily about winning it was about it was about competing it was about showing that you can you can stay up with a game you can dominate uh, it was about embedding and, and living your philosophy and as a byproduct winning but don't get me wrong like it, having said that and you want to stick to your philosophy and so forth um, it did creep into it because of what the story it carries um, so there is no there is no getting away from I suppose uh, when you have these uh, these London derbies even at academy levels there's there, there's an element of okay we want to we want to get one over or we want to beat them or we want to dominate them and so forth tell us about them what's the recruitment strategy at Arsenal what sort of players are they looking for there at the time well back then it was um, it was very much um, looking at technical players players that can move biomechanically very well, uh, irrelevant, physically big or physically small, but you can see that, that they can move biomechanically very well by the long term, but have a physical structure for the game that will support the Arsenal philosophy of playing at a high intensity. Um, in terms of skillfully looking at players that are, that are fearless in terms of taking players on, um, and willing to go into 1v1 co competitiveness and, and combativeness uh, both in attacking principle but also in the defending principle being able to win the ball and actually break out and go and play um, and, and at the same time having a foundation that they have an, a, a way about them and also developing them through playing in different positions um, so lot, lots of lots of recruitment around um, yeah, the, the future individual being able to actually stay up with the game from, from a technical perspective, but also from a physical perspective as well. And what were, the, what were your main takeaways from your time at Arsenal as a coach? Um, it's an interesting question because um, having been through there as a player and having been through there as a, as a coach, there's um, lots around technique. Like technique is, is one of the one of the big big foundations of it but being able to use that technical skill in a very um, tight situation and dominating 1v1. Um, creating overloads was, was, was critical, so you being able to beat your man or getting past them was ultimately a big advantage because that overload created uh, an unbalance to the opposition, so being able to do that very, very quickly. Um, but also, like coaching, coaching 
coaching players and, and allowing them to express, self-express and be, be, be the player that they are and, and support them to actually fulfil on their potential. Interesting. So then let's talk about your next academy role at Tottenham. Tell us a little bit about that first of all, how that come about, and then tell us a little bit about the, you know, what was that like getting into that environment? Yeah, it was. Um, I took some time out uh, between between that period um, and wanted to learn more about myself as as, as a person. Um, so before taking that on, I went travelling a little bit around South America and looking at different ways of football. Went to different institutions, professional um, from schools to Michael Johnson Performance Centre to Ajax to Barcelona, looking at all the different. Uh, makeup of uh, a football from a different angle and going to uh, Tottenham at that time you can see how the philosophy was really tight in terms of building the player there was a great link between how a foundation player or even a community player would look like in terms of in a Spurs setup. Okay, so what does that look like? Give us a little bit of a detail. About so it. I suppose the, the program was spread right the way across in terms of like not just um, not just um, looking at academy players, but setting a program that trickles all the way to the community and the foundation works together with the, play, uh, with, with, the with the academy. Again, like looking at lots of individual technical ability, uh, forward-facing skills, back-to-goal facing skills, the ability to receive. What's, what's, the, what's the main difference between that and Arsenal? The philosophies that the two clubs practically. I wouldn't say there was. I'm t- maybe think, they think had desired outcomes. What was practically different in terms of the delivery? Maybe uh, it was. For me, I found uh, Spurs was a lot more um, wider in terms of the t- uh, like looking at players and building players in in, in, uh, in different areas, but also having that link between um, the whole of, of of the philosophy spreading out into the, into the community and so forth. Um, what does that mean then, spreading out to community? What do you mean by that? So like the foundation would, would be working on the technical aspects okay. of the game. And so if you saw, say, a foundation player come in, you can almost say, you know what, he's been on a, on a, on a, on a Spurs kind of technical program um, and that will seep in, into, into, the, into the academy. And when and they do make that transition, it's actually a lot more easier yeah. um, because they've, got, they've inherited some of the DNA within them already. And it was p- more about refining that. Um, but yeah, a lot more detail. Um, the philosophy was uh, was again individualistic, uh, looking at players focusing on one v one domination, um, and really at the same time, lots of um, lots of wider base in terms of play- selecting players that are maybe undermaturated and waiting patiently for them and, and putting programs in that helps them to, to stay up with the group but not neglecting them within the group um, so in that way there was a lot more thought within that process um, and yeah it was, it was a bit, little bit more of a, of a, of a different kind of eye-opening for me and, and that's something that I was looking for to be honest I'm always looking for um, because I think sometimes like just being in certain environments you can you can start becoming open come with an open lens but you start narrowing off so I found that from my perspective working at two different clubs Tottenham and Chelsea really improved me because I was very much tunnel vision and Spurs way of doing things is really you know unique and then Chelsea completely different way and it opened developed me as a coach and made me like you say open your eyes up to different ways of not one way to you know make that no, absolutely, and, and, and I think sometimes as a coach, personally need to create that, so when I'm mentoring other coaches, I, I suggest things like that, uh, but for me personally, it helped me to really get a wider lens on, on 
and on how to do things in a, in a different way. And that ultimately opened up another new space on like, okay, so if that's that and that's that, how does that, how does something else fit in or how do I see this gray area in between the two? Um, so ultimately just open up bigger perspectives and more perspectives I, I was getting and I'm getting, more I'm seeing players in different lights, philosophies in different ways, environments in different ways and there is no actual perfect formula for any, any of this um, and that's where I've come to the notion that there is no balance as such. It's, it's, it's more about awareness uh, and being able to skillfully spot what's needed for a certain player or a certain coach or certain environment and how do you bring that invisible architecture together that you can see that someone else might not be able to see directly straight away until you explain how you're linking things up to take player maybe from under 12s to pick up some of the some of the characteristics and some of the profiling some of the positional play and some of the skills to actually get to the 16s in a certain certain pathway um, so yeah perspective is, is a huge part for for me personally uh, and I'm, I'm ever so grateful to be able to get into different environments to actually learn that and what, what age groups did you work with when you at Tottenham so uh, youth development phase uh, foundation phase um, and floating right the way across at times uh, something that I really really enjoyed as well because I was able to see how the link was uh, from from top to bottom um, and that um, that's when I talk about that half cycle um, almost seeing a player from under nines going up to 14s 15s um, and similar to Arsenal seeing that similar half cycle um, but now I'm, I'm seeing that full cycle and, and, and what the players have gone through at under nines to where they are now. And it's, uh, it's been interesting, like both from a Spurs perspective but from an Arsenal perspective as well, some of the players that I saw at under five, uh, sorry, under six, sevens coming into that pre-academy, or when they came into the academy at under nines, some of the character traits and he was like, okay, you know what, that's quite interesting that he's got that character trait. That's, that's a real, real big thread that others have had to get to the under 18s. Um, and seeing some of the players play under 23s now, I'm like, yeah, it's quite interesting. Like that thread is still there. I give some examples of those sorts of character like, threads you're talking about and those just, players. Just those, the, the it's not necessarily self mastery is a big, big part of it that I have really um, seen that players come in show at an early stage that's that has continued on. Um, so the players that actually came in and and almost done a lot more of deliberate practice. Um, so whether it's passing the ball against the wall, whether it was just keeping the ball up, whether it was just um, playing with whoever turned up early. But at the same time, the way they approached training, if there, was a, there was a sense of awe of, I'm focused, I'm ready for this. Um, and even at like 11, 12, some of them, you can see that, okay, I'm coming here, I want to be better than I was, and I want to get better the next session. So. I suppose that, that kind of psychological side, more than anything else, it was, it was focus, it was deliberate practice, self-mastery. Um, and with that, yes, it trickles into resilience because I'm here, I'm here a little bit early, I'm practicing a little bit more and showing commitment. Um, so a lot of those uh, psychological traits is, is the biggest thread that I found. And what about um, generally, I mean... So now you've gone into another environment, you're a little bit more experienced, you come from another club. What was that like for you personally, being in that environment? 
how do you assert yourself if you like? Are you a little bit more confident? You're in you know, a different philosophy. I mean, talk about that dynamic. Interesting that. So I, I was actually reflecting back on, on a lot of those changes because I've had I've transitioned through different areas, um, and that for me was. Um, so yes, yeah, so that experience was um, was very interesting for me and very insightful as a, as a person learning to adapt and go into a new environment, um, get to know new coaches, understand new uh, new coaches from their perspective and so forth. Um, and it took me time um, to mention the word assert. It's, it's it's ultimately working out how does it operate here and, and what 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 are the different building blocks and so forth. So it took me a little bit of time, but um, one of the things that I found that was really helpful was just spending lots of time with individually with coaches and, and asking the question and finding out, okay, this works like this, what's your rationale and what's your thinking behind it? Um, and coaches were amazing at that because coaches, coaches love to share and, and, and at the same time find that about from your perspective. So in that way, it really helped me to settle in and, and learn and understand the philosophy a lot quicker, but also acclimatise to the change of environment, um, uh, both similar to when players go out on loan, I suppose, or move clubs. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, that was not just coach development. That was me as a person developing to work in different environments. What, what so advice good. would you give to a young coach who's maybe just breaking into academy football, or wants to break into academy football in terms of you know how can you go in there if you you know if you want to make a career in the game. And, and you know, be, make a positive impact. Big thing is build build relationships, and, and it's not relationships as in like someone um, you just you just know them or anything like that. But it's more about having those conversations to find out whatever your end end goal is. Is how can you get support or get some mentoring? Um, so that's ultimately speaking with coaches. From your club, but maybe from other clubs as well, and seeing how, how they how they saw the game or how they saw training uh, on a match day. Maybe I've connected with uh, other coaches from other clubs and said, "Oh, let's grab a coffee because I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on, on, on this uh, this part of the game." And and, um, and being able to get it from a different perspective. But at the same time, what I was getting was how they implemented certain ideas or strategies and so forth. So that gave me a great understanding when I look back at the game or the, or the, or the play, um, that, that, those, those, are, those are the big things for me in terms of getting to know other coaches and building those, building those uh, relationships where you can find out more. At the same time I'd say um, getting yourself into different environments, not necessarily just in football, but going into environments where people are at the same time managing or coaching people, so that could be in a in a, in, a, in, a, in a corporate environment or it could be in a, in a school environment or it could be in a college environment what are the strategies that those people are using in order to help uh, their staff team to develop or the pupils to develop or the dancer to become even better at dancing um, and some of my experience has been going into schools um, going into even like um, an arts class for, for the blinds and being able to explain the detail of what the object was so the other people that couldn't see can draw it and the communication with the artist was just phenomenal it was like, like do i give that much detail when i coach or do i just skim over things because really and truly sometimes the kids are blind to what you're actually trying to coach so am i really using 
the detail of size, of, of adjectives, of how it feels, what it looks like, how far you are, what angle, how the light is shining, what could you see from different positions. So going, in, going into that kind of detail, uh, going into that kind of environment to pull out that kind of detail. Um, been fortunate to go into like really over the last three, four years into, into high pressured corporate environments where people are having to make million pound decisions or 100 million pound or the country's stake so things like Barclays Bank or or um, law firms where they're signing on contracts but how do they negotiate that how do they actually come to this consensus of we're going to do this mm. but then looking at the process what do they take to actually get to that decision um, so depending on where you are in your journey and, and what you're trying to trying to find out um, over the last couple of years having worked more with older players and around senior uh, senior senior side of the game um, I found myself okay it's about managing people it's about how do you build that relationship with people and how do you go through the processes of getting people to buy in so yeah younger coaches older coaches depending on where you are you need to get yourself into different environments away from football because sometimes football can blind you on on almost institutionalizing and learning things in a certain way um, where the game is made up of people of different play, uh, different colors different backgrounds different environments different cultures and football is very much a migrating game now so you're working with players from different countries coaches from different countries fans from you as a coach might be all of a sudden 10 years ago you wouldn't be going to as many tournaments in Europe or South America or Far East now you are so how do things work in different cultures so really branching yourself out you might not be able to go all the way to Southeast Asia but you might be able to meet someone who is from Southeast Asia or someone from Lithuania or Uruguay or wherever wherever in the world so it's really understanding that football is moving fast so then let's talk about your next role with the FA yeah. tell us about how that came about and what exactly you were doing so I took on a so the FA had the mentorship role where uh, allowing coaches to come in um, and work across the different different departments within the FA um, and that was very much a developmental role which I thought would um, give me more of a 360 understanding really not narrowing anymore but having, a, having even more of a wider perspective so I got to work across the coach education department so the CCDs county FAs to um, P department we go into schools to uh, YCDs who work with youth coaches within clubs uh, NCDs who work with people that are going through their uh, a license and that support mechanism and the national teams also um, and that that was a real eye-opener because how the national team works is different to how CCDs work or how the P department works but you can see a thread of, of, of values that need to be carried when you're working for the FA and then how to go about doing that and that value really keeps people aligned or keeps people aware of, of what the message is for the short term, medium term and the long term. Um, so working with the national teams I was able to um, do the under 16s camp as I mentioned previously seeing those players in the tunnel was, was something else. But so what was that like in terms of delivering sessions for that, those sorts of boys, that, that quality of it was It was more so, um, it was nothing more than um, similar to what you do in the academy clubs really uh, at, at 16s. Um, there are lots of uh, lots of work around bringing the players together because they're not they're not together all the time. So really embedding some of the social stuff, so activities, 
um, getting them in terms of physically prepped. So there was a lot of uh, performance analysis of the players. Uh, where are they in terms of their physical fitness, tiredness, injuries and so forth and reporting that back with clubs. In terms of training, um, lots of technical work, lots of small-sided game, but also embedding that England DNA um, in, into the players and connecting them so to... What's the, tell us about the England DNA then, to, what, it, what are your... So in, in, terms of, in terms of England DNA, so how we play out from the back, to, to building the attack, to finishing the attack, then looking at more in detail going into going into the players, so staying on the ball and being able to um, create opportunities or stay on the ball to draw players in, so you can play around. Um, how to go about being finishing the, finish off the attack. So very much um, the small puzzles within that big jigsaw, um, and trying to get the players to um, connect uh, more into that. So, Mr. Net, so in terms of like your delivery and your, your planning sessions, I mean, how did that work in terms of, was there a curriculum, was there, you know, how do you know what you're going to work on, how do you, what, how did practice design come about? So in terms of that, that would be a lot of, a lot of the coaches sitting around the table um, prior to the boys coming into camp and design, so it's first of all knowing who's coming in, who's available start talking about where are they in terms of, as I mentioned, physically and will they be playing and so forth. Uh, and then looking at designing the training programs from for the whole week and including like a couple of days before the match, what's the intensity, what kind, what's the session going to look like, both from a technical, tactical, <coughs> social perspective. And then one day before the game, how is that, how are we going to bring that down? Uh, and the day of the game in terms of the match plan. So there will be presentations um, and there were presentations throughout. So. This is what we're going to work on today. These are the areas that we're going to cover. So, in terms of showing that on the on the projector, uh, showing both in terms of icons, so like session plans, but then taking that into match practice uh, uh, in the sense of videos from past games or. Maybe so how do they say right tactics today? I want you to take the defence or something, or you want to do? I want you to do a possession session with everything. I mean, how did you fit into that? Um, so very much I worked with, with, with the coaches so supporting it, um, so in terms of my role it was more so this is what we're going to work on, um, can you take part in this in terms of maybe uh, doing the playthrough or something like that, um, but mainly more so is firstly getting that, getting that plan in place um, and being able to show that on, to the players that this is what we're working on, so it's seamless. Uh, and these are the learning objectives that we're going to do. So when we do go on the pitch and when, when we're going through that session, it's, we're meeting those objectives um, and then bringing them back into the classroom or back into the auditorium, uh, going over that. So what did you think? What did we cover? Did we hit on those points? How is this going to work in the game? Could we have improved on something? Um, or can you see something that we could have done differently? So really trying to get that whole thread from before they come into the camp, planned everything, shaping the sessions, linking that to the practices, and then and then um, reviewing the practices. So lots of lot, lot of plan do review within within the, within the whole camps, and yeah, lots of plan to review. And then Kate, let's, let's move on because I'm talk about get our teeth of this your Guyana, your your uh, your experience there. So tell us how did that come about? That uh, so Guyana came about through just um, I suppose lots of lots of connection with going to different events and keeping in touch with lots of coaches and so forth and, and um, it was out of the blue Michael Johnson was um, got the position and um, Michael was like do you fancy coming over 
Um, so how do you know Michael? So uh, just from the circuit, as I mentioned previously, like in terms of connecting with other coaches and then sharing what your values, your philosophy and so forth, um, and then ha building that relationship. So through the LMA events, but through various different games and bumping into different, different, um, different events. So ultimately it was, it was probably about five years prior to actually, actually getting that kind of opportunity. So, so maintaining, maintaining my development, but also seeing Michael's development and keeping aligned. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it really came about. It was just one of those, one of those phone calls. Um, and I was, I was quite um, thinking about it when he mentioned Guy, and I was like, well, let me do some research. And then I was thinking about South America. It's, football's not the primary sport. Um, <laughs> It's not the primary sport. No, What's so, the primary so sport cr cricket is 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 the is what they're very much famous for <coughs> cricket. Um, and then uh, Michael's like, okay, this is getting a, getting a team together. We're going to have a meeting. So we met up with a team in in the Midlands, and it was all go 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 very 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 quickly. So within within four or five days, uh, we was out to out to Brazil, um, working with the young. Uh, we had a camp over in Brazil, working with a young guy, and he's. Uh, 18 to 23s um, and um, I was really taken back by the passion of the players um, and the willingness to learn it almost made me realize how um, I think sometimes when you have things on your doorstep you don't really appreciate it and seeing them where they had lack of facilities equipment uh, access to coaching and then so forth. The players were just absorbing everything, coming back. Can we do an extra session? Can we talk about this? How does this work? Oh, coach, can you draw me that, that practice again so I can remember it, so I can go and use it uh, in, my, in my grassroots club because some of them are still coaching as well and working in schools. Um, and it was a, a real magnet of, of realizing, well, I didn't know I was making that much impact, like literally just this is something that I would have thought was basic over here, but over there it was like gold dust. Um, so where did most, were the most of the players from Guyana in terms of their... So, so yeah, so pretty much started off... I mean, they're based in Guyana rather than... Yeah, so Guyana, um, some playing in Trinidad and Tobago, some playing in the US, um, some playing in, in, in the UK and also Finland and Portugal. Um, when we started the squad, um, August 2018, March 23rd, 2019 is when we qualified for the Gold Cup. The squad changed close to, I would say, about 90%. Um, so a strong emphasis on, on, on recruitment. Um, so tell us a bit about that recruitment. I mean, how does that work? How do you go and say, right, let's go and find some players when you're a small and country was, in the Caribbean or that part of the world and that was a big big team effort and um, Asa the analyst and, and Michael and the rest of the team they were immense at, um, at starting to network so we kind of talked about okay let's look at the Guyanese community let's look at census data uh, where, where do the Guyanese community live so looking at the data you had the UK you had America you had Canada you had um, um, Holland uh, from from uh, their connection to French uh, to Suriname, which is the country next door, um, and then really getting the message out there that 
Guyana has this opportunity to build something um, and we're looking for players. So it was through social media, it was through So famously, I mean, Sam Cox was playing for you, the yes. old Spurs boys, yes. academy, academy yeah. coach there. How did, how did you recruit Sam? How did that come well, about? Sam was already playing within, oh, right, within, within the system. Okay. Uh, Sam had been very committed to playing for the team for some time. Um, but there was lots of other players that were not in, quite involved in the team uh, for whatever reason. Um, but it was, it was trying to get those players in, uh, some playing in League One, some playing in Conference, some playing in uh, MLS. Um, so it was, it was a matter of, matter of bringing everyone together and, and, and showing them that if we, if we bring all the players together as a collective, there will be a complete paradigm shift on the quality of the team and, and what we can achieve. Um, so through those conversations with individual players to group meetings, to to meeting up at nine o'clock in, in London for a meal for all the Guyanese players that are in South, to meeting up some of them in the North, to telephone conversations and Asar, who was the, who's the analyst working at Norwich now, um, doing loads of internet research. Okay, there's a player here, there's a player there. So internet, internet research became um, a huge thing. At the same time, um, building an app on, on how do you find Guyanese community uh, in terms of the players that are playing and seeing that they're eligible. So that's something that we started looking at and discussing and building on. Um, so while it was about coaching and you want to coach the players in the team, you've got to find the players first when you're working in an environment like that. So we had players that um, in, in, in Guyana that lived in region that you would, some don't have access on roads. Um, and some don't have access to uh, telephones and so forth. Uh, you'd have to go into the rural parts to actually, actually get that message across. Look, we're playing, get involved, and so forth. Um, so yeah, huge strategy, both on the ground physically, telephone calls, WhatsApp groups, LinkedIn, internet, using WeScout, all, all of these different mediums to recruit the players and, and, to, and to bring them together. So let's um, think about then, I mean, so you've worked in academy football, you worked at the FA, and I'm, I'm, it's just interesting to work as a national team role. What's that like then, I mean, yeah. day to day? I mean, how much time you actually involved? I mean, was it like a part-time role? Was it a full-time role? I mean, how so that, what was that work in practice? How did yeah, that work? So with Guyana, it was more on uh, going over there back and forward. Um, so it wasn't a full-time role, and primarily because there was a lot of the players were based in the UK. Um, so watching players both over here. Um, in terms of timing, due to the geographical nature of being Guyana in South America and you get, you're having to travel 15 hours, 20 hours, connecting flights maybe to two different countries before you even land in Guyana because there's no direct flights. So when you've got a week in September to prepare for one game, um, players are traveling. Some have played Saturday, a full 90 minutes, traveling over on the Sunday. They get to Guyana on the Monday coaches are the same because they, they've got their individual jobs as well so Monday it's, it's physical prep seeing where they are their wellness and so forth you've got a session on Tuesday and depending on what's happening in terms of the game time it might be on the Thursday or the Friday I can't remember what day it was it was almost like two days and then then we're playing um, due to the the way CONCACAF fixtures or uh, the opposition nation can make it because of where they are um, so time was a premium and how do you fit in, how you're going to play, how you're going to attack, how you're going to defend, how you're going to manage the players, how you're going to get them mentally ready, physically ready. Um, 
took a lot um, and, and in terms of the team that we had we had to work very diligently so Asar doing the analysis having everything ready so it's ready to go um, Mike who was the head of people and culture at the same time even though those players were from Guyanese background living in the UK it was it was a lot about culture like how do you bring people together um, that haven't been to Guyana maybe for some years and Guyanese players been in Guyana but then all of a sudden you're seeing these other players coming in and taking your position so trying to buy them into into um, into one dream um, so and what was it like I mean, in terms of like you've predominantly been working with younger players academy players now you're working with grown men and also you know it's competition time it's a lot different tell us a bit about yeah, what was that like in practice I mean in terms of how you're relating to players you know how you're motivating them you know what was the difference between that and working with young academy players more so because we, we was at the performance end it was it was really how are we going to go about getting those results so there was an opportunity to go and build on technique and so forth it was okay so and so is good at this so and so is good at that that's their super skill that's their strengths that's their weakness how do we utilize that so it was working with the players and, and managing them and, and really just completely treating them as adults and saying look this is what the game plan is this is what we need to do we need this from you this is the ABC that needs to happen and these are the three things that you need to do when we don't have the ball and designing practice around that rather than trying to develop the players there was no time to do that so really boasting the players um, to what their strengths were and, and what did that look like in terms of your week so like Michael you work with you might say right let's work on this so you, you go and design and do the session or mm. how much you know, how much to be was he involved in the you know the, yeah. the uh, delivery so, what that look like in practice yeah so in, t in terms of that again we, we, we'd, um, we would we'd look to plan but because of international football players mm. that you had in mind might even not get released from their clubs or they might come injured or they come having played 90 minutes so planning was very very difficult uh, in terms of trying to have something ready uh, in terms of practices of the sessions so Paul Williams who's who's at Norwich at the moment fantastic he was doing we would do what in possession, I would do out possession, the next camp we might swap over. Um, but in terms of um, really getting down to the nitty gritty, we'll sit around and we'll say, look, this is the game plan. Are we going to press or are we going to go for a mid block or are we going to defend deep? How does that look like now? Okay, what are the triggers from our front players? So, okay, this, this could be our front player or it might even be him right. or he still hasn't arrived. So who are we going with? So it was a lot of plan A, plan B, plan C, depending on what player was available um, and been having those ready conversations in place. Okay, if we need to go with him, this is what we need to happen because he's not more of a um, intensive, um, aggressive presser. He's more of a guide um, or he's more of a stick and set yeah. or Embry's more of a player that can get on the ball, running behind, take players on. So um, lots of adaptiveness be, being adaptive within that environment um, and that that really was well connected by Mike Mike Jones who's um, who headed up people and culture uh, he was so good at diffusing some of the things that were happening like in terms of how to bring in people that were late or players that haven't been selected or disagreements on like travel times because we're using external services or things like that just really dealing with what so it is what it is how do we make the best of it yeah. um, 
So having specialists right the way across from the analysis to um, Mark, who's, uh, who's a professor, uh, professor at Derby, who was on the performance, to Mike Jones, who was people and culture, Michael Johnson heading it all up, Paul doing the coaching, um, myself doing the coaching, Asa doing the analysis, and then um, Ade from QPR doing the goalkeeping. So it was really having lots of different skill sets, but being able to work adaptively to a plan that was going to change at any point, at any time, mm. um, both from a perspective of what we was going to deliver or not even having a training pitch um, or thinking that we're going to have 40 minutes and all of a sudden it's 40 degrees heat. Um, so yeah, was, it, it, what it looked like was not your perfect plan. What it looked like was we are in a situation, how do we make the best of it? And how do we make the best of it without it interfering with the players, interfering with the energy of the group, and being able to get that outcome, that result that we're really looking for. Um, so it wasn't the perfect remedy. And again, like we all developed from it because we always had to be on our toes and, and, and just, just um, be adaptive, be, be okay with, okay, that's not working, so next best thing next best thing um, so it's just part and parcel of coaching isn't it flexibility unless you're in there yes. you know working at the very highest you know Man City where everything's completely mm. to the time you know you're going to have to be uh, flexible I just want to move on quickly because we're going to get a bit of time just tell us about game time what's that like I mean you, you played academy football you've been at nines you played with the 16 oh. but suddenly you know it's all on the line it's a performance level what was that like and then in terms of how do you what was your role within that on the bench and contributing to that yeah environment? it's interesting because uh, if we look at each game they were all nerve-wracking because not nerve-wracking in the sense that that was the energy in the stadium or from the people because for Guyana it was going for something big um, but throughout, we, 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 we maintained a, a level of calmness because we had a plan and we, we believed in our plan and what we were able to do. And also the players were outstanding. They were amazing at taking it on. So throughout, we, we, we maintained calm at the initial stages. First game, second game, we were getting results and then performances were good. But when you talk about game time, and the, 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 the biggest game was that last game. Um, and that game time was something that I've never felt before. Um, having played as an academy player. So who's, and, the, who's the last game fixture against? Um, the last game was against uh, uh, Belize, and um, <laughs> it, it, it was just like you can feel the tension. You can feel before even the game, the country. This is what they're looking for. You're seeing people walk through like fields from different directions into the stadium. You can feel the. the Guyana is a vibrant country, music, people, culture, food. It was just like a summer Notting Hill carnival. Um, and that was, the, that was the energy six hours, eight hours before the game. You can feel it ramping up. Um, and during the game, um, it was just, <laughs> the tension was just, was just too much. It was, um, the, the whistles, uh, you can feel people just checking their time. Um, we score, they score. Um, the nerves was building up even more. Um, 
players, players in the bench getting, getting like agitated towards the last 10 minutes because they know what, what, what we're on for. Um, and I'm sitting next to Michael and you've got the FIFA camera in Michael's face and they're coming in, they're going, they're coming in, they're going because for FIFA it was one of the, one of the stories as well. This country has never been anywhere. They were just coming to pick up the story but then this was something else. Um, and at the end, like Michael, myself, Paul, everyone were just like, okay, let's just get over, get over. I'm looking at the times not moving on my watch. Last two minutes, minute, they still got another chance. And it was it's like your typical game, and like you're trying to see it out, but yeah. they can they can score um, at any point. Um, so for what's your like? Do you like? Are you trying to get information across at this time? Is it like just a cauldron of insanity in terms of anxiety so, and so the nerves? For me, I was just staying. I was staying maintaining calm because I could see us seeing it out, um, and I can I can see that Michael's can see that it's happening. And they were going direct. I reckon in the last three four minutes they must have launched the ball at least eight to ten times. Um, diagonal balls just in into the box into the box and Terence Van Kooten I was like this kid is just wiping them clean so he was playing centre back for us bam knocks it back they put it again bam knocks it back and every time he's coming through and I'm like look you just got to keep on doing that there's only 30 seconds left um, and literally when that happens when the whistle went you can feel the heartbeat getting even even more stronger because you know you've just done it. You, so tell everyone what, what was the achievement. People might not might so, know they've, they've been living so in somewhere. Guyana's never been to a major tournament in their history. Yeah. Um, and this was the first time making it to the Gold Cup, which is like one of the smaller European nations getting to the Euros. Yeah. Um, and when I rewind it back, when we was in Brazil, when we first started the first camp, being in the Brazil Museum triggered inspiration, hope from having nothing in Brazil was able to achieve what they achieved. And the social economic status of Guyana is similar to what Brazil was 50 years ago and so forth. And we said this saying, make history, don't just pass through it. And that's the slogan that we work through right the way through each camp, conversations, make history um, and so when that whistle went we knew we made history everyone knew we made history even the cricket fans that didn't want to come knew we made history um, so in terms of that energy everyone just running onto the pitch players gave it everything lying on the floor saw Sam Cox crying this person wow. people jumping <laughs> up and down people praying um, the flag was flying drones taking pictures um, to be, and I couldn't find anyone. <laughs> I'm like, Michael, where are you? Like, Ade, where are you? Like, everyone had just, everyone was just celebrating. Um, we had people coming from America, from Europe, to, to come and watch the game. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was unreal. It's, it's something that's going to stay with me for eternity. Um, and I remember we was doing like closing talks and like, in terms of like small discussions and like people can take away a lot of things from you but no one can ever take away your experience 
um, irrelevant what you do. No one can ever take away your experience. And that experience is something that created amazing feelings and fulfillment for me, but at the same time for the players, coaches, past players. So we finished on like, when you make history, you change the perception of the future. Guyana can always hope. Guyanese players can always hope. Guyanese female team is hoping and they're yeah. doing well. Guyanese coaches are hoping. Guyanese. So all in all, just making history has changed the whole perception of the future for the players and for us all because being able to do it in an environment like that with limited resources, so many moving parts, so much adaptiveness um, and being able to keep going, keep going, keep going um, makes me even realise Made me realise, and that's where I got to. It's the invisible architecture that governs success. Yeah, it's not having the greatest facility. It's not being able to have a coach there every day. No, it's you wanting to do it. So it's got to come from that that the whole passion and the psychology side of it, and bringing people together for a bigger meaning. Um, so now, so, um, that, so it's quite inspirational, isn't it? It's got an amazing story. But I mean, so now I post that the. Uh, the the uh, the dream team coaching team's broken up. You've all gone your separate ways. I mean, uh, for several reasons, I imagine. Um, but just want to talk about because obviously Michael Johnson now is working at the FA. He's talked about the uh, the problem with um, black and ethnic minority coaches getting into the game. Maybe there's like a wall here, or maybe there's discrimination. Or whatever. You're like a young man from yeah. Bengali descent. Is that right? Yeah. Have you ever encountered that? What's your thoughts on that in terms of? Uh, institutionalised racism or, or, or setbacks for, for, for coaches from ethnic minority backgrounds? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of positive work being done. So, so in terms of the FA moving things forward with, with the mentorship programme, um, I think recent times you'll see in the media what's happening in terms of, in terms of um, racism and so forth. Um, it's a lot to do with culture. It's, 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 it's a lot of social unconscious biasness towards certain people, certain backgrounds and so forth. Um, and really, it's, it's building that awareness um, and what, what the evidence or what the reports are showing that there is ongoing issues within the game um, and the stakeholders are really taking more of an more upfront approach to, to tackle those issues. But again, it's, 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 for me, it's a lot to do with education. Um, and sometimes education has to be by design. Sometimes it's almost by default. Because, and what I mean by that is, yes, you can put seminars on, like, have you thought about what's your blind spots? Are you aware of how you, how certain things you might say might be offensive to someone else? And, and you're educating people. But other times it's, it's by default. You're, football is a migrating game now you're going to cross paths, not even football. The world is a migrating place. The, the way people are moving from one country to another, you're getting more interracial relationships. You go to a school in, in, in London, you're going to get however many different cultures. So that's not by design. People are going to, people are going to cross paths. So what do you think as well? I mean, it's interesting because why do you think there hasn't been more players from the South Asian community particularly in, you know, at the playing at the highest level, do you think there's still do you think that's an unconscious bias with that in terms of maybe recruitment and selection? Yeah, did you ever have that fit? You know, experience as you going as yeah, a young player. Yeah, from my experience of that, it's, um, 
seeing is believing in, in, in many in many big ways. Um, when you're looking around and you can't quite relate to, to someone, you can't see that you can be there, you almost feel like you don't belong. Um, if you take, for example, Roger Bannister, no one ever thought that you could break the four minute mile, uh, or was it the five minute mile? But the week that he broke it, 20 other people went, went and done it or, so, or something like that. So again, for, for, for Asian players, there isn't as many role models to look up to, to, to believe that it's possible. And as I was saying about Guyana, by making history, you change the perception of the future. So by having representation or having people that people can look up to, ultimately gives them that extra little bit of belief that it's possible, that they can get some advice or they can get some um, openings. Huge strides made from within the black community, within the professional football, from we look at the 80s to where, where it is now. You've got coaches, you've got players, you've got directors, you've got people working right there across. When we look at the Asian community, there's not enough players at the top level. There's not enough coaches. There is players playing grassroots football, but there isn't enough role models and so forth. So in that way, it, um, it still has a long way to go. Um, and, and there is lots of social biasnesses that, that exist. I have social biasnesses, everyone has biasnesses, but it's about building that awareness. What, are, what is our biasnesses um, to ultimately open up those pathways? Um, so it's, 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 it's going to be an ongoing thing um, uh, that we need to continue to build education around, continue to share what's good and what's going to be beneficial for the whole game as a, as a, as a collective group. Um, and that's what I'm doing with my part, like in terms of just going into different environments, going into different, different cultures and backgrounds and areas and speaking to people and sharing some of the journeys and experiences that I've had um, to inspire and, and, and give hope uh, to the next generation. For me, it's the sun shines top down. Um, if you haven't got people with an open mind, um, you haven't got people that are looking for a wider scope of experience or players and from different areas, you're not going to nourish the ones at the bottom and it's just going to be purely just, just focusing on one area. So change really needs to happen at the top for it to spiral to the bottom. Um, and then what's next for you? You've got, like, uh, got a bit of uh, CV envy, you know, what, looking at your CV when I did the other day, you know, you've, you've worked literally at every level of the game. Uh, what's next for you? What's your aspirations uh, in the game? What have you got left to do? There's, there's so many things to do. Um, there's definitely, um, definitely lots of untold, unfinished um, areas of, of development um, and, and things that I want to work on. For me, it's, it's going back into um, coaching on the grass. Um, but at the same time, um, having done the guy in the role and having worked in China, having worked in national teams and, and being around different environments, um, long-term ambition is to work, work your way to the top and work out at the elite level within, within, within Europe or the rest of the world. Um, but in order to do that, I want to pick up more skill sets, more experiences, working with, um, working in different environments, with forward-thinking coaches, um, and continue to develop. But mainly to, to, to get back on the grass and, 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 um, and, and, and coach more and more. Yeah. Taff, thank you very much, mate. Thank Been you very pleasure. much. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.